there is a very strong mounted opposition to the stuff that's been happening by people who are genuinely concerned about themselves, their neighbors, their communities, their country. And that fight has now been going on. And what the, the people who are now involved in that fight have been doing is looking at it strategically and saying, what have we actually got? We've got much of the population which has been uh, domesticated, which is basically ignorant, not in the sense at all that they're stupid, they're smart, but they're asleep. They've been put asleep or they've been given wrong information, false information, only partly true information by the media. Who owns the media? We own the media. Okay, now the fight that's been going on behind the scenes is enormously great. And it's been led by uh, corporate people. It's been led by uh, military people at all levels. You're listening to Timeless Teachings, a global podcast with Jana Frey. We talk about consciousness, human potential, and happiness in daily life. We are kicking off the year of 2023 with a highly provocative and out-of-the-box interview with a guest who challenges corporations, governments, institutions, and other social structures. Professor Frederick von Dreger is a former chairman of the Department of Political Science. He is now 83 years old, which means he was born one month before the start of World War II. Just think about it. And all the global events he has lived through since 1939. A fair warning, this interview can stir a lot of emotions in your heart and thoughts in your head. It is provocative, fiery, confronting and direct. Professor is not holding back with words and details of the information he is providing. As you are listening, whatever feelings are arising within you, just remember to take a deep breath and consult your own head, your own heart, and your own life experience. The truth is always within us, and only you know which one is truly yours. Let's welcome Professor. Welcome to Timeless Teachings, and today we have a very special guest with us, Professor Frederick Peter von Dreger from Australia right now, right, Professor? Yes, correct. And I'm truly looking forward to this conversation uh, because I, I spoke with you already, and I know you have a message to say that this, you said people we either love or hate. So let's see, let's see what happens and let's see if we can find, you know, a middle ground where I would love everyone to listen to this and see how it shows up in their lives and their actions that perhaps they would like to take as a result. So that's my intention. And also, I know that you are 83 years old. Would it be correct? Yes. Correct. <laughs> Sorry to bring it up on sport right away, but I feel that it is important to say because of the life experience. And I remember during the previous panel, you mentioned that you were born one month before the World War, right? Yes, and exactly. 
And that's just like, if I think even about the history and the sequence of events that happened, I mean, this is like a massive live experience and on top of everything else that you have been studying. So thank you so much for being with us here, Professor. And for our audience and people who are just meeting you for the first time, just share with us a little bit about who are you and your life story. Okay, uh, just briefly. Yes, I was born exactly one month before the outbreak, the declaration of the Second World War. Uh, I went on to uh, study history and philosophy at the University of Toronto, uh, and eventually in graduate studies, uh, um, political economy, actually. Uh, it was called political economy because you can't separate politics from economics. Uh, politics coming from the Greek word, the polis, which is the city-state. And politics actually simply means the business of the city-state. Nowadays, when you people talk about politics, they think about political parties. Uh, well, that's a new uh, way of, of, of uh, using the word. Uh, originally, it was simply the business of the community, and that involves the finances, the trading, uh, as well as the decisions that are being made about what it's okay to do uh, and, and what it is not. So I, I took that at the University of, uh, of, of Toronto, and then I went on to teach at uh, the University of Prince Edward Island in Eastern Canada. Uh, my colleagues uh, elected me chairman of the department and uh, <laughs> the administration did not like it. And therefore I was never promoted uh, from lecture. Uh, I never got to professor actually as a, uh, a, a, being paid as a professor. They just always kept me down because they didn't particularly like what I was doing. And what I was doing is what I was actually hired to do. Academics are supposed to tell people the truth. Now, in engineering, they usually do, uh, because in physics, you know, how to build a bridge, how to build a house, you have to build it correctly so it doesn't fall down, okay? But I found out more and more that in, in uh, political economy, as well as in psychology and sociology, they did not want people particularly to tell the, the audience or the, the the students or, or, or wider than that, the wider community, what actually the truth of the matter is. So eventually I got out of there. <laughs> I resigned my position and went to uh, New Zealand. And my particular interest was intentional communities, cooperative communities. How would they actually work on a small scale? Because my background is very much of a traditional socialist. Now that's not what socialism means today at all. All these words have been completely changed uh, in order to satisfy certain requirements of the big boys that rule the world. Uh, so, so that's uh, basically my background. I then lived in a community, more than one, but one particularly, uh, for a number of years and found out how people can actually work together if they're not reliant on the government, either financially or uh, in terms of police services or uh, family services, uh, and, and the community that I was in was very, very interesting. It was an experimental community, uh, and therefore in some areas, we undoubtedly made mistakes. So did the Wright brothers when they invented the airplane. You don't sort of, you know, come up with a theory of an airplane, and then you build it, and you fly, and it's perfect. It's not. Uh, but by making mistakes, you also learn what it is that works and what it is that, that doesn't work. However, the government of New Zealand at the time did not particularly like us uh, because we showed that when people cooperate together, 
and live together in a community where they share uh, practically everything, uh, everything public. Uh, that is the finances, uh, the, the, the instruments of production, uh, the, the land, uh, the, the products that are being produced are shared. And that actually works amazingly well. That was my major interest. So I have considerable experience of how it's possible for people when they are not being controlled or dominated from above. Uh, of course, we were because we're still a small community in the society. But nevertheless, uh, it's a bit like the Amish, for instance, uh, who then build their own community. And there are other communities that have existed around the world that show that people naturally are actually much more cooperative. Uh, yes, they might be competitive, but they're not destructively competitive. So that's, uh, th that's my background. I got out of the university completely. I resigned. Uh, I went to New Zealand and then stayed out of politics until fairly recently. Uh, and that recently is when this stuff that's now happening, I'll try to be polite in my wording. Yes, let's let let me also ask you exactly. Maybe let's start even there from university when you said that you feel and I absolutely agree with you that professors are and academics in general hired to tell the younger generation the truth because we are preparing future leaders. And you felt that people, you know, you could say maybe in power, right, didn't want you to tell the truth. So that's now when, of course, you got me curious. And let's begin with that. So what is the truth that you wanted to tell at that time? And you feel it also still relevant right now? Nothing very important in the sense to begin, to begin with, simply in various areas of public policy. My special interest was in public policy. That's what my graduate thesis was in. And that's in fisheries and in health uh, and in the um, production of food and in transportation and communication and so on. Uh, the difficulty that I started running into was that the big corporations and the big corporations really only started getting bigger, say, 50 or 70 or my lifetime ago. Before that, they were, they were fairly small. Uh, as a matter of fact, here's, a, here's an interesting thing for the audience to learn, and that is that the, the, the word cor cor corporation was actually started initially in England in order to make it possible for a number of people to get together and, uh, and uh, cumulatively put together th their money, their assets, their skills, but the corporation was only incorporated for a specific purpose and for a specific amount of time. That was it. When it had finished that purpose and that time had run out, the corporation uh, dissolved and then you had to form another one. So it's only much more recently that these corporations have taken on a permanent life. You and I, Yana, are individuals. We have a life uh, and then eventually we die. Well, the corporation, the new one, the, the modern one. You don't want to die. <laughs> And it doesn't have just one thing that it can do. It can be a corporation that's involved in fisheries and eventually it buys a zoo. And then it buys uh, utilities uh, for communication uh, or for transportation and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what we have now. And I saw it coming as anyone who was looking at it saw it coming. So now you've got State Street and Black Rock who practically own all the other corporations underneath them. That is, they have a controlling interest in all the ones below them. And you know, 
So what did I start doing at the time? I, I started talking about the corporation and in effect that limits needed to be put because if you get unrestricted, uh, unregulated, or, or I was going to say unregulated capitalism, the capitalists regulate themselves. It is no longer the government that regulates the, the, the corporation. The corporations now own or control the government. And uh, you know, so they're, they're doing their own control of themselves. And what does that mean? They do it for their own interest, which then becomes unrestricted, rapacious capitalism. And that's what we have now. So in starting out, I'll start out with this basic uh, very simple, very ordinary, everyday level of what's happening in the, in the, in the practical, political, social Yes, please, let's please. And also just kind of again to remind that we have people from all over the world who would be listening and watching, and they might have a different level of understanding, right? Some know nothing and would hear for the first time. So it means we have to explain in a very simple way. So it's very clearly and understood by everyone. And yeah. some people you know, have been following it themselves and they have their own understanding. So let's try to combine both, right? Explain it simply, but deep enough. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the next thing is, I mean, to bring it straight up to date, is that what's happened most recently is that these very big corporations, and it isn't really, a corporation is not an existent being. Corporations are run by people who sit on their boards and who make the decisions. So when, when somebody talks about whatever uh, name of the corporation is, uh, that actually doesn't exist in reality. What exists are the people that are sitting on the board and controlling the actions of that corporation. And it's the people that we need to actually hold responsible. So, you know, if it's uh, General Electric or if it's uh, the Ford company or whatever, uh, then there is no such thing as the Ford company that we can hold responsible. It is the people. Now, they try as much as possible. The higher they are, the more they try to hide. So mm -hmm. that we don't actually be able to, so that we don't point at them and say, now, look, this is what you are doing. So the Google Corporation or Facebook uh, or Twitter, uh, <laughs> there are people that are controlling us. And what have they been doing recently? They have been censoring us. They have been deleting accounts. Yeah. They have been shadow banning. Okay, so, so now we are at a stage of where this advanced corporate capitalism through the people that run it, and those are the super billionaires, they are actually now more and more in world control. And what they're interested in doing is now getting total control. And that's the stage which 40, 50 years ago I saw coming. I got the heck out of it because I didn't want to, uh, you know, participate in the university activities that actually supported that. Uh, but more recently now, I've gotten back in and I'm doing interviews such as yours in order to ask people to become more aware, recognize what's actually going on. I mean, in different parts of the world, some of the people that, you, that uh, are listening to us are probably relatively economically somewhat poorer. Right. And therefore, they have to go from day to day to try to get the food, to try to get the uh, whatever it needs to keep themselves warm if they're in a cold country. So that's what they are doing. And, and people in wealthier countries, OK, but they, they have more spare time. So what are they doing? They're having barbecues, they're, they're taking their boat out, they're having picnics with their friends, they're enjoying football and so on. Well, wait a minute. 
what's happening in the background? What is the polis, the community? What is it actually doing? What is happening to you? And so my message at the present time is spend some time at becoming aware of what is going on because these people at the top now are medically speaking, psychological uh, psychopaths and they're becoming criminal psychopaths in the sense that they are now using all their power in order to dominate, suppress, control, manipulate everybody. And, and to the extent that they can't do that, they're trying to put us out of commission. That's how bad it's gotten. And for those who are listening to us right now and wondering, wow, that's, you know, that sounds dangerous. That oh. sounds, uh, that sounds urgent. That sounds uh, something that needs to be acted upon now. And so what, what would you feel is the best um, way for them maybe to take actions around it, right? So what, like an average person who might not have access to, you know, high government or high decision makers in, in business. So a person who, who does barbecues and, and, you know, sends kids to school, right? And, and, and makes money to pay the bills. Like, I feel like, you know, sometimes maybe for people like that, which is the majority of the population, there could be a feeling of hopelessness. Like, like I'm a small man, I'm a small woman. What can I do possibly, right? And that's, so what would you say to that? Exactly. And this notion that we are individually powerless has been a very important program that these people have actually instituted. The whole so-called educational system uh, was only started uh, as public schools something like, what, roughly 150 years ago. And then about 100 years ago or so, the big corporations actually were very involved in what this educational process was going to be. And their interest was not particularly to educate people in the sense of making it possible for them to realize their potential, but rather to get them used to sitting in a class in rows and listening to the person at the, at the front and getting up when the bells are rung or when the lights are, are, are turned on and, and going out for a recess and then coming back in. It's a way of training what in effect becomes a slavish situation. They're interested. Well, we train in dogs. I'm sorry to say, but it's a very similar one. We train our dogs the same way. Correct. Exactly. So in a, in a way, they have the vast majority of the population really as uh, domestic animals yeah. that are meant to be used in order for whatever they want to produce, whatever they want to communicate or not communicate, uh, whatever they want to transport or not transport. And now we've come to a point with technology that technically uh, the majority of human beings are no longer needed for labor. Uh, automation has now got to a point of where I'm going to pick a figure out of the, out of the top of my head, 80%, 90%, the vast majority of what needs to be produced can actually be done technically, mechanically, with the modern technology that, that's now available. So then we as human beings are no longer of use to these very top people. And I'm talking about, when I'm talking about the very top people, it's the 1% of 1% or even less than that. 
the very top people at the top of this increasingly sharp group population. Okay. I mean, now, back to your question. What can the individual do? Yes. The individual has been uh, trained, has been socialized into thinking. You are just an individual. And therefore, you're lucky if somebody gives you a job. You're lucky if you can you know, pay for a mortgage. Well, we have to rethink that. And in effect, say, now, wait a minute. Uh, I'm not just a number. I'm not just a figure. I'm not just a, you know, like a bank account number. I am actually a full human being. I'm a male human being. I'm a female human being. I'm entitled to be on this earth because the creator, the originator, source, whatever one wants to call, has actually created me or made it, made it possible for me to be here. Who are these people to order me around? Okay. What that means uh, in academic terms is we have to recover our personal individual sovereignty. Mm-hmm. I am not somebody's slave. I am, in effect, a free human being. Now, when I was talking um, with uh, Tahira Amir Sultan Khan on that uh, panel that we just did a few days. From the Golden Door. Mm-hmm. At the, through the Golden Door, the search for truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. There were, uh, were two or three uh, people of black color that were yeah. on there. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about slavery, mm-hmm. uh, that they had you know, been transported from Africa to the United States, even to Europe, other parts of the world as slaves. And I said, well, you know, that's what's happened to you historically. You were actually taken away and made slaves. We white people or people that are, you know, not the African particularly say, we've also been made into slaves. The difference is that you were actually, you know, used very much like animals at a lower level. We have been used, we Europeans have been used like the servants on the first class deck of the Titanic. On the Titanic, you've got people that are servicing downstairs, down below decks, the engine or that are shoveling coal or whatever, right? Those are the lower class slaves. We have been the upper class slaves, but still slaves and we're under control. And now that the top of the top of these people no longer need us, we're finding out that we're also being treated as slaves. What did the slaves have to do? The slaves had to organize among themselves and see what help they could get. We now have to do the same thing. We have to look at our neighbors and our friends and say, hey, we live in this community. This is our place. What do we need to do in order to take over? In order to take over, in order to exercise the control that we are entitled to locally. So let's start with that. Who is running the local school board? Mm. Who is running the local power board? Who who is actually in charge of our local police? Now, some communities are still in the fortunate position that the police are getting along very well with the citizens because they consider themselves citizens who are serving the other citizens. Now, if you look particularly at some places in the world or the bigger cities, you find out that the police are no longer working for the population. Yes. How do you find that out? Because of what they're doing. I mean, I'm now in Australia. Victoria, the state of Victoria in Australia and the capital city is Melbourne, is a classic example of how the so-called police are actually working for top people uh, in, in the government. Now, we get into another issue, and that is that the government is no longer a legitimate government. It's a corporation. 
It's a corporation like Monsanto, like the Ford Corporation. That's what these people who we think of as being the political representatives, in effect, that's not what they're doing. They are following the orders of their masters. And the police are now employed against the population. Classical examples in Melbourne, you've got three or four of these police people pushing a pregnant lady to the ground and spraying pepper spray into her face. Now, you know, when I was young, that was impossible. I lived in Ontario at the time, the little community of Milton, Ontario. But yeah, the police people were, the, were our neighbors. They were our friends. That's now changed. So what do we have to do? We have to look at who is actually enforcing things locally and start taking control over them. So if we're living in a community, we have to find out who are these police people? Where are they living? Whose orders are they obeying? And then talking to them, go over and speak to them and say, hey, Joe, who are you working for? And when that happens, like it's happened in Victoria and other places, that a lot of the police people actually are brought to attention as to what their job is, and they quit. Mm. They, they, they don't do it anymore. Okay, And then you get a confrontation. We're faced with a situation which on a worldwide level is now a war. And I say that without any reservation. This is no longer just a discussion or even a dispute or even like a labor management situation. This How do we define war, right? Let's also maybe like when we say the war, I mean, those are very strong words. So when we say, okay, war going on, what kind of war? Just so that we okay. have about it. There's so much to talk about here. It's, you know, uh, the main thing they have used, the main thing that they have used is this business of uh, fear about health, fear about disease. Uh, th th these people are very, very smart. Some of my friends say, oh, these top dog, top criminals uh, are very stupid. I say, not at all. They have been working at this control situation for a heck of a long time. I won't even try to put a word on it. And uh, doing that, they've sort of looked at what is it that we can use, which is not guns uh, or missiles or bombs, but which, with which we can control the situation. That's where this so-called pandemic comes in. It's not primarily a health situation at all. Yes, it's like a traditional flu. And whether some of it may be artificial or mostly natural is, in, in this sense, actually quite irrelevant. The point is, as one hears, that the pandemic has been instituted as a method to control the population. Look at the origin of the word pandemic. Pan comes from the Greek, pan is, is, is everything. It's all encompassing. It, it's the total sum of everything. That's pan, okay? And demos is people. So pandemic is actually all the people. So what have they been doing? They've been coming up with this so-called COVID pandemic declared by who? The World Health Organization, that's one of their subsidiaries. They control it. It's not, a, it's not a people's organization. It's not even under the control of the government. It's a private corporation. The same thing with the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. That's a private corporation. Who does it obey? The people on top who put the people in that manage it. 
the guy that is the head of the World Health Organization is an Ethiopian criminal. His name is Tedros. He was charged in Ethiopia, I think, for some sort of uh, illegal activities. But the main thing is he has no medical background whatsoever. Mm. Neither has Mr. Gates. No, they have no background in medical. So, okay. So how have they instituted this control? By coming up with a pandemic. They planned it for years. They had SARS way back 20 years ago. They had a little you know, examples, models of how to go about it. And in uh, late 19, uh, 2019, they had event 201, which was a plan about how do you get the population into this pandemic and so that they're all terribly afraid that they're going to you know, catch terrible diseases and, and maybe die, or a lot of them may die. That's the instrument of control. The fear. And then comes the so-called vaccination. This vaccination is not, a, is not what people think of as something that will actually cure them. It's another method of control. And we're finding that out more and more. And I'm not going to name names, but if you want to find out, it doesn't take very long to, to find out who the frontline doctors are all over the world. Now there's an organization, I think, with something like a thousand of them who are united. So you'll find them in England, you'll find them in the United States, you'll find them here in Australia. And these are medical doctors who are saying, wait a minute, this stuff that's being sold to us as a vaccination is actually very dangerous. It comes in different batches, and they're very smart because some of these batches are not injurious at all. Uh, they may even just be placebo. They may just be water. I don't know. And why do they do that? Because then they can say, look at these people. They've all taken a vaccination. What's the problem? They don't have any problem. Correct. Other batches are very injurious. Other batches are lethal. We're now finding out what some of these lethal uh, or, or where some of these lethal batches have been have been sent to. And I'm sure that most of your audience now have either seen or heard there are athletes falling over dead on the field, playing cricket, playing baseball, playing soccer. They're, they're young people in their 20s, in their early 30s, and boom, they drop dead. And it so happens that they had a, this so-called vaccination the week before. So we are at war throughout the whole world. Because these top people, I'm repeating myself, are now, they find us no longer necessary for their work, for their labor. They can use machinery for that. And they not only find that, they find us actually as being a, a, dangerous to them because we want to do our own thing. We don't just want to uh, work for these top people. Well, <laughs> so what do they want to do? Either institute complete control or else put us out of commission altogether. That's why it is, in effect, a global war. And we haven't had this before. We've had wars using guns, and we've had you know, bombs and stuff. But bombs aren't falling, at least not in most parts of the world. Uh, what's falling in most parts of the world is people's confidence. They use fear to control us. Oh, my God, I'm, af I'm, afraid, I'm afraid for my child. And therefore, you've, you've got parents who are sending their kids uh, to get these so-called vaccinations, which you know, more and more, including doctors, are now called injury shots or even kill shots. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but not for everybody.
And again, when we bring this conversation for like a common man, right? So, I mean, I, I understand now the whole, like the background and the way how you say it. And of course, I mean, especially like during 2020, 2021, when it was like really extreme with the lockdowns and everything, there yeah. was this like a, you could say also a massive uh, polarization of the population around the world, people who pro it, people who are against it. And there was like a lot of debates, you know, going on. And now it seems to just globally, when we look around, um, that somehow you could say almost pacified in a way, right? So now everything is open, we could travel, restrictions removed. And so people almost feels like forgot that it even existed. Like it's almost kind of shocking to see how can you so quickly forget what just happened for the last two and a half years. And now when everything kind of back to normal, I could see just in human mind, just even talking with people we're seeing around, the people go, well, you know, uh, like not a, not a big deal, it's past. But what you're saying is actually it hasn't. it hasn't. And it was just, we could almost say like an experiment to see what is possible and how quickly it is possible to, you know, to gain this control over such a large number of population. And then my question is to you, since you spoke about it earlier before it happened and you saw it coming, maybe not in this particular way, Howard, you know, but you saw it coming uh like in a larger scheme of things. So then now my, my question is to you, where do you feel that we're heading from here? Like what is it that we need to pay attention to? What are the possible dangers could happen? And like what can we do again as, you know, common people, as individuals? Uh, what can people do actually to create a better future for themselves and everyone around them? Okay, now, so now what I've talked about is what these people uh, would like to do and how they've gone about it, now comes the other side. And the other side is the opposition. Mm -hmm. And the opposition has been mounting tremendously, mostly behind the scenes, because this is an army operation now. And the people, I'll call them white hats. Uh, mm -hmm. There are many other names that you can call them. Some people think of them as patriots. Some people think of them as the uh, white alliance or something like that. I'll just use the term white hats. Anyway, there is a very strong mounted opposition to the stuff that's been happening by people who are genuinely concerned about themselves, their neighbors, their communities, their country. And that fight has now been going on. And what the, the people who are now involved in that fight have been doing is looking at it strategically and saying, what have we actually got? We've got much of the population which has been uh, domesticated, which is basically ignorant, not in the sense at all that they're stupid, they're smart, but they're asleep. They've been put asleep or they've been given wrong information, false information, only partly true information by the media. Who owns the media? We own the media. Okay, now the fight that's been going on behind the scenes is enormously great. And it's been led by uh, corporate people, it's been led by uh, military people at all levels. And th that organization now needs support from individuals. And the first thing that they need to have is the individuals to become more aware, uh, sometimes called the great awakening of humanity. Who are we actually? What is actually happening to us? Who is doing it? And so they're interested in having the people become more uh, interested and aware of what is actually happening. 
instead of saying, oh, well, you know, those are the crazy politicians. And yes, there's a bit of corruption, but there's nothing that I can do about it. Hold it. Not only is there something that you can do about it, but it's extremely important that you do something about it. First thing is to wake up, become more aware of what's actually going on. Find out who the doctors are that are telling you just how dangerous this stuff is. Find out the people who are now saying, look it, the population is suffering from a mass psychosis. A mass psychosis is when everybody goes along something, it's almost like a, 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 a hanging group. What do they call those? Uh, you know, a, a, a mob mentality. Uh, a lot of people are getting this so-called vaccine. Why? Because it's the thing to do. Because they've been told that if you're irresponsible, if you don't do it. Uh, some teenagers or late teenagers I've talked to wear these, these masks, which are actually meant to muzzle us. They have no medical reason whatsoever in an ordinary circumstance. Okay? So uh, they, 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 what, they need, what, they, what these people need is for the ordinary citizens to become aware of what is happening. And part of the mess that we've been experiencing is because these, um, these white hats, right, are saying, look, in order to wake the people up, it has to get tough for them. Unfortunately, if we just simply say, look what this is happening, oh, well, it's another story. They won't pay attention to it. So a lot of the stuff that we see happening, particularly in the Western world, is actually not the case. It's a, it's a, it's a film. It's a movie. It's uh, what my friend Ricardo Bossi here in Australia calls Kabuki Theater. The president of the United States is not the president of the United States. They've put this thing on. The election in, in uh, 2020 was a totally organized thing, but it wasn't the first time that it was organized. So back to what can an ordinary individual do is to start informing themselves and each other. And, and then, you know, don't try to inform people who, are, who just simply won't listen to you. There are very diehard. Don't do that. See what people you can find. I find them here by the lagoon. I find them at the picnic places. I find them you know, at the grocery store. Yesterday on the, on, the, on the sidewalk there, outside of a pharmacy, they still had the signs up, social distancing. You know, please wear the mask. It's no longer compulsory. Uh, it, and I started talking to them and said, okay, why do you still have these signs up? And one young girl put up her hand and says, oh, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and she wanted to talk to me. Talk to people like that who are ready to wake up and who are interested in what's going on. Now, let me give you a historical example. Mm -hmm. The American War of Independence, mm -hmm. what we call the American Revolution. You know how many people, how many colonists, how many English colonists actually supported that? Something like 15%. Mm. 15%. But those were determined that they were actually going to achieve their freedom away from subservience at that time to King George. 15%. And when Washington crossed the Delaware in order to fight that very famous battle, which was extremely decisive, he had only 1,000 troops left. And he said to them, look, if you don't want to fight, I can fully understand it. We're in a small minority. Go home. I won't hold it against you. I think just about all thousands crossed the Delaware. Those are the patriots. I sometimes uh, think of them as the warrior bees or the warrior ants who are there to, to defend the, 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 uh, the, the hive. Okay. Support them. 
It may be not your thing, but at least, first of all, become as an aware individual, make contact with your friends, find out, as I was saying before, what the school board is doing, talk to the local police, and then also become aware of what's happening now. There is a treaty now in process of being negotiated among 100 and, what, 190 countries or something like that, which continues the pandemic scenario. They're doing that behind the scenes. They're proposing now to pass a treaty which will obligate every country and therefore every citizen in every country to have a vaccine passport to do anything. This is a lull in their program. They've been doing, they've been planning this program for 100, 200, heck of a long time. They haven't quit. They've been put on the back foot because they're being hit so hard by these white hats who are actually working for the population, but these white hats need your support. So, so don't think that somehow, oh yes, things are more free now, everything is gonna go back to normal. It's not any more than it did after SARS, any more than it did after uh, 9-11. I hope that your audience now at least knows, or at least has some inkling that the assassination of President Kennedy was an inside job organized by top people in the country. Now think of how terrible that is to have top people in the country organizing that, and then 9-11. Talk about that among friends. Find out what's actually available to information. This wasn't organized by some people in a cave in Afghanistan. This was a very top American inside job, as it's called, by some top people in the FBI, in the CIA, and in the other 12 or 13 more uh, secret service agencies in the United States. So they've been doing this in the background. Their plan continues just because it's easier now to travel. I was talking to a travel agent uh, just a couple of days ago, and he said, oh, Australians are not so happy they can travel everywhere, uh, and they've been cooped up, so now they're going all over the world, and they think that everything's okay. People, it's not okay. Think about your children and your grandchildren and their children. They are depending on this generation to open their eyes and to say, wait a minute, instead of just you know, watching my sports and my favorite television program, I'm now becoming more concerned with the affairs of my community. That is what politics means. Polis is the community. Politics is the affair. What's, what's happening in your community? What sort of media are people listening to? What are the media saying? To what extent are they lying to you or have giving you half truth or, or making you or, or, or making, giving you opportunities to look at stuff which you find entertaining so that you don't look at what's really going on? It's important. We need to become real citizens, uh, which is our obligation. And then maybe you know, make sure that in the high schools, particularly civics is taught again. When I went to high school, an important course was civics. Civics is what? What I need to be aware of when I become 18 and a citizen of the country. That means I am co-responsible with everything that's going on in, in the community in the first instance, and then in my state, and then in my country. I'm responsible for that. I can't just simply say, oh, look, it's just me. I can't do anything. These people are on the thing. You let that happen, and these people are going to take full control you will find yourself an automaton under their control, shopping only when you're allowed and what you're allowed to shop for. The Chinese already have it. 
If you haven't looked at that, look at it. They've got facial recognition cameras everywhere in the big cities. And as you're walking along, they know who you are. They know where you're shopping. They know who you're going on a date with. They know what you're doing. And they can stop you from doing that by using digital currency. And when you go to the bank, or not to the bank, but to the ATM, you know, to take out some money, it'll say, no, sorry. Or it'll say, you can take out $50 today. That's it. That is what is technically possible. And that is what these people are planning to do. And I know, Professor, that in one of our conversations, you kind of said that you feel sometimes like, like Paul Rivera, right? If I pronounce correctly the last name, that who kind of was just rising along the line and saying British are coming, British are coming, British are coming. And sort of no one wanted to listen in a way. And then, and then it happened. And so I think, you know, with those conversations often, it's, it's exactly what you said. Uh, some people go, yeah, I understand. I, uh, like, I want to do something. I want to, you know, participate. I want to yes. take an action, make a change. And other people go, do not disturb my normal life and, you know, my barbecues and my reading, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to know, I don't want to hear, I don't want to be part of that. And it's a bit like, a, you know, like a Strauss, I guess, right? When you put your head in the sand, thinking that whatever is happening going to go away. Um, so which then brings us to a point where, of course, I mean, fundamentally, it is for each individual and each human being to decide what it is that they want to do and what it is that they take as truth. And I just kind of want to say, with listening to you sharing it, what came to my mind that um, basic stuff as, you know, normal, common person and citizen, but I know even just from what we heard like about the torture techniques that's done with people. I mean, one of the, uh, one of the tools that are being used to uh, gain mind control over a person is first to torture them and to remove like basic human rights, sleeping, eating, yeah. going to the bathroom, right? I mean, like basic human stuff. And then when, when you reinstall this back, that suddenly now you can sleep an extra hour, you could go to the bathroom, you can have one meal a day. For a person, they take it as an incredible benefits and kindness, and it develops uh, almost like a, a level of trust between the one who is being abused and the abuser and there is like a, it's like almost like a Stockholm syndrome, right? A little bit also in a way. There is this there is admiration and this emotional connection with someone who is actually being the abuser. And so, in a way, uh, like when you we just look around, we could say in a like in a very global scale, that's what population have been experiencing. But suddenly, basic human rights have been had been taken away. And then three or two and a half years later, being back, given back to people and people just go, wow, now my life is back. Like, I'm just grateful my life is back. Like, I don't want to care about anything else. I can go have coffee with my friends. I can travel. I don't have to wear a mask at the moment. Right. So and just that when we look around, I feel many people. It's like don't want to rock the boat right in a way because they want to hold on to this little piece that suddenly is, is being given to them. But then also I really appreciate your perspective. And I think it's also important. We kind of look probably different at life with age 
And that's why also at the beginning, like I, I mentioned to people that you are 83 years old, right? And so I think sort of with age, we just, we, we, we become more fearless. We, we, you know, we take stronger stand. We kind of feel, okay, well, I really want to say what I believe. I want to convey the message. And uh, maybe people who are like middle-aged or younger people um, sometimes uh, maybe fear comes in the way. And I feel like, you know, just listening to you, that's maybe like also an invitation to younger generation to just be more fearless, to, to look for truth, to ask questions, to, to make a stand because they have the whole life ahead of them. Many, many, many more years still. What, what I find interesting, what you're saying, what I find is that uh, I'm back to my analogy with the warrior ants and the warrior bees. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everyone is going to do it. But in my experience, and uh, I'm now talking basically from my experience, the data that I've learned is always suspicious. So I look around and, and from what, what, I've, what I've seen and what I experience from day to day, uh, I experience that young people are as interested as the older people. Middle-aged people are not everyone, but every segment of the population. Those are the more, maybe it's their vocation. Uh, it, it, you know, they're attracted to that. They're interested in it. So, so I find myself speaking to people of all ages, including 18-year-olds who are right there, uh, very aware of what's going on, very smart, uh, and, and very interested in doing something. So another thing that comes up for me and listening to you is that one way in which uh, plain, ordinary, everyday citizens uh, can be challenged uh, in terms of saying, look, at, there's some stuff here which is not okay. And that is, for instance, what's happening in the child sex trade, in the human traffic trade, in the, in the drug trade. That's affecting a lot of people, and particularly where children are concerned. Uh, if, if you haven't done that, the people who are listening to this, look up the word adrenochrome. It's absolutely horrific. But adrenochrome is actually something that is manufactured from the blood, mostly of uh, very young um, children, babies, uh, in order for the elite, the super elite, it's extremely expensive to rejuvenate themselves. That's how bad it gets. Here in Australia, for instance, two things that we are using in order to get very ordinary citizens, like you've described, who don't want to have anything to do with anything, uh, to to get them concerned is that we've got uh, a situation here which is not only late-term abortion, but moment-of-birth abortion. It actually is practically, it is infanticide. That is now the case. It is legal. maybe in not all states here in Australia, but in most of them. Now, that will upset people. How is it that the government can allow regulations to be passed for for very late term at moment of birth abortion? That's not okay. That's killing babies. What in heaven's name is happening to us? That shocks people. And sometimes it's a shock thing that, that is necessary. Another one, here in Australia, I happen to know that because, you know, I know the movement. Uh, it's called Australia One. And people from Australia that are listening, please look up Australia One. They are a very, very uh, important movement. The second thing that they've come up with is that people who are, who are m- most probably uh, involved with or guilty with high crime, like pedophilia, are actually stopped 
uh, no, they are not stopped. The police are stopped from proceeding to prosecute them because parliament has passed uh, regulations or whatever they're called uh, in order to uh, not only tell, but in order to stop the federal police. We have a list of starting with 28 very high profile uh, people in Australia, in government, in the judiciary, uh, in the law enforcement area. Uh, and there are cases, apparently, from what I hear, and it sounds very, very true. Uh, there are cases that the police could use in order to prosecute these people, and Parliament has stopped them from doing that. Now, I suspect similar things are going on in other countries. And, and that needs to be raised with ordinary people in the population and saying, are you okay with this? If you don't do anything about it, this will continue. Are you going to allow the fact that you know, people who are high profile are not going to be prosecuted? Are you going to uh, allow a late term at moment of birth abortion that's practically killing babies? Are you okay to live in a society where that happens? And you know, so sometimes things like that, and there are many other things, uh, which people know of that need to be raised. And then those people will at least become willing to support uh, the, the, the soldiers, the digital soldiers, the white hats or whatever, and doing what they're doing and say, yeah, I mean, this stuff, it, it's, it's not okay. Uh, this has got to be looked at. This has got to be brought out into the open. Uh, you know, this is not just some ordinary you know, bit of corruption and people taking money or whatever, or going for holidays, uh, you know, charging it to the public. This is very serious crimes, and and uh, you know and, and that is happening. So once again, just because I'm in Australia, I'm going to point out, and I'm sure this, I'm, I'm sure, I have very good guess that the same thing is true in other countries, particularly in England, in Wales, in Scotland, uh, certainly in the United States. Look at who the freedom movements are. In New Zealand, for instance, at the Voices of Freedom, that's a website. Look it up. In Australia, it's Reignite reignite democracy in Australia. Monica Smith is the uh, young woman who, who started that, and it's, it's growing massively. So if you want to be involved as, a, as an individual, there are now opportunities to do that. Look at their website, see what they are doing. They're organizing local meetings. Uh, they're organizing uh, local rallies. Uh, they're organizing some demonstrations. Now, if you don't want to go to a demonstration, then go to a local rally, which is in the form of a picnic where people meet one another. Australia One is most uh, effective because the people that are meeting there finding out that they're part of a larger family because they're on the same wavelength. They may be black, they may be white, they may be from Asia, uh, they may be from South Africa or England or where I'm originally from, which is Austria. But then they find that the, the people are on the same wavelength. They want to do something. And then instead of feeling, oh, I'm just an isolated individual, what can I do? You now have a whole group of people. And, and, and that becomes really interesting because you can have a picnic with those people. You don't just go for a picnic in the yacht club or in the golfing club. You go for a picnic with people that are members of, or, or supporters of Australia One. And then they also talk about what is happening, what the White Hats are doing in other parts of the world and so on, and how to stop. Uh, the, the, this, this massive domination that is actually happening. And then people start becoming alive. And they find out what their real interest is. They may have been doing some kind of a job for the money and so on, but you know, 
eight hours a day or whatever it is, and then coming home and having a drink and going to sleep for five days a week. Now they find out, my goodness, I can actually do other things. And that opens up the possibility. So, you know, truth is not only something that you, you know, you get the, the correct data. Truth enlivens you. You become aware that you are actually a citizen of the world and there are people all over the place who are interested in the same thing, which is looking after your family, your children, your grandchildren, and, and, and stopping this, this, this horrible stuff that most people now feel the horrible stuff. Mm, that's, um, that has been such, a, such an incredible conversation, Professor, really. I mean, and I also feel... Just I want to say thank you from behalf of the audience in terms of just resources that you mentioned. Like I feel uh, people who really uh, listen and feel that they want to do something. You just mentioned so many ways to get involved in different places around the world. And at the same time, um, what you said, to be, to be very clear, like are you the one who is meant by character and mindset and your intention to kind of go front and be one of those warriors who will protect? Or you're the one who is meant more to be in a supportive role, and both are equally important, right? So it's important to understand that we need both. And I just love your example, how you said, I mean, from the history, that only, like, I mean, we have a historical example that maybe we need only 15%. Like, I hear it also from other people, like, if we talk about things like consciousness and elevation and consciousness, right? They also talk about 10%. So if it is just 10% of the global population has that and takes an action and has this understanding and realization, then that's how we quantum leap. We quantum leap, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, and also just in, in a like society, in terms of society structure. So then listening to you, it's kind of interesting because on one hand, you like, you like tear apart everything, you know, and people kind of go like, wow, I thought I had my nice life together. And here came professor and just, you know, destroyed everything to pieces. And, you know, on one hand, it could create almost like what I said, like, we said, like a hopelessness in a way, right? It's like so big and so dramatic. It could be, well, you, you just demolished my life entirely. <laughs> but then on the other hand, it's what you were saying. It's about understanding, you know, understanding uh, what can you do and you always can do something. And no action is too small because it always makes a difference for yourself, for your family and for your community. And still, we, we don't need even 100% of people to do that. We need maybe 10, 15, 20% of people in a society to kind of take an action, to become leaders. And just realistically, I mean, not everyone can be leaders. It's not possible. We need the followers, right? So we need some leaders yeah. And the majority will be the followers. And, and that's how we can create then a future where individual actually is in control of their own life and their own destiny. And then collectively, we can make choices which are better for ourselves and better for our children. Yes. Let, let, let me, before we end this, um, so far I've been talking mostly as an old uh, social scientist and an academic researcher. By the way, I call myself a conspiracy analyst. We kind of figured it out by now, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, not conspiracy theorist, but conspiracy analyst. As a matter of fact, here's another interesting footnote. Uh, the term conspiracy theorist was brought into the public by the CIA 
the American intelligence agency, so-called intelligence agency, after the assassination of President Kennedy. Because the report, the official report, was so un unbelievable. It was, it was ridiculous in terms of, you know, that one guy shooting from a, of a school of a book depository with an old Russian rifle killed this person uh, and hit him in the front of the head, although he wasn't behind. It was unbelievable. So the, 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 the CIA invented that. One has to watch the language. Conspiracy theory is perfectly legitimate. What does it mean? It means taking on a particular hypothesis, uh, an idea. Uh, I have a theory. I have, a, I have this idea that there may be a bunch of people who are doing something against the public good. That's perfectly legitimate. The, the Wright brothers were aviation theorists. They theorized that if you build a wing correctly, that it will fly. Okay, so there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the word conspiracy theorist. Uh, and, and, you know, now that when most people hear that, they immediately think it's a hoax. It's not. So be careful about the language as well. But what I want to now get into is uh, the next or the higher level, and that is the spiritual level. Here. Mm -hmm. uh, in my experience, everybody in the world that I've ever met has some sort of notion that there is a spiritual level somewhere, even the so-called atheists. Yeah. The atheists, right? What does atheism mean? Again, it comes from the Greek. A means not or the opposite. And theos is the one sort of God in the sky, you know, with the white beard and whatnot. So the, the atheists that I've met are people who say, no, we don't believe in the one you know, old man in the sky who is running everything. But when I talk to them more widely, about you know different dimensions of reality and so on. Oh yes, they're very prepared to go there because they're usually also scientists. And then they quote somebody like uh, Einstein, who said it's very important to realize that what we know is very very little compared to the dimensions of existence that are out there. So now we get into that, and and that uh, and this is my own personal view. Although I find more and more people that I you know, meet and that meet me and like you found me through Tahira or to, Tahira found me. I was retired in Australia and I was just going to, you know, be here and enjoy my friends. And then Tahira found me and said, hey, I want you on the panel for uh, the truth through the golden door. Okay. Uh, what we're experiencing here at this higher level is that it's really evil against good. Evil meaning life destructive. Uh, violating life, uh, you know, subjugating, dominating, controlling life and, and, and making it so that it becomes uh, artificial to the point of where it can be controlled. Uh, that, from an academic point of view, I would say that that's evil. Uh, and the good is life-supportive, uh, life-creative, life-encouraging, uh, making it possible for the individual living being like you and me uh, to recognize their potential. To, to exercise their vocation, not to be trained for a job. Uh, my daughters, fortunately, both uh, said, no, we don't want to be trained for a job. We want to do what we're, what we're interested in. And, and, and the younger one said, oh, she was interested in plumbing. And then she was interested in, in construction, you know, cement, stuff like that. And, and so she wasn't going to go into some kind of a profession and uh, you know, make lots of money. She was going to do what she enjoyed, and she's very good at. It. And now she has less money, 
but a heck of a lot of friends. And she finds that that's much more important in her life. And, and so do her friends. <laughs> and the other one, the older one, is very similar. Her, her, her interest was in mathematics. And so she said, look, what can I do which will involve me in mathematics? So in modern society, she, goes, she went into accounting because accounting uses mathematics and, and uh, she likes mathematics. And so, you know, the accounting is useful for business. So, so now she is an accountant at a senior high school uh, in, in, in New Zealand. So at the, at the spiritual level is for us now to look at freeing ourselves, becoming more sovereign, refusing to be slaves and saying, what's what is my vocation? Uh, what do I think I'm, I'm actually here for in this life? And yes, you're quite right. At the age of 83, you start asking yourself, what have I done? Uh, has, it, has this been worthwhile? What can I do now? Which is actually not what's, what's of interest genuinely to me turns out to be actually good for other people. I'm, con I'm continually surprised when I do stuff and I sort of you know, go away a little bit self-conscious. Well, why did I do that for? And people come back and say, hey, that was very interesting what you just said, or we really appreciated you giving us a hand in moving this bit of furniture or in, uh, you know, helping over there with some organization and starting a business. Yeah, that was really useful. And, and, and that brings joy into life. So, so what I'm finding is that people are increasingly aware that they're maybe not, they're not particularly happy. They're surviving in life rather than living. Well, let's look at way in which we can live together and enjoy the companionship of other people. And then when we go to other countries, we find people who want the same thing. And in order to do that, we now have to go through this war of, of effectively getting those people removed who are interested in doing the opposite. And that is suppressing life, destroying life, controlling life. And that's evil in, in any kind of a spiritual sense. But whatever spiritual path you have, you have to decide uh, decide. Look at what is it that in your spiritual uh, life, what is it that you consider to be evil? Well, that's not okay. And I've got to do something to stop that. What do I consider to be good? Okay, what, what is it that I consider to be But let me do more of that and find the people that I can do it with. And then we begin to, to live a spiritual life, not on the way of some, you know, woo-hoo, or even going to some particular ceremonies once a week or whatever but rather living a spiritual life because it excites us, it interests us, it makes, it makes our life uh, happy because we've got friends who are doing similar things. And then in doing those things, we find that we serve the community uh, in, in all areas, transportation, energy, communication. And then we can use the, the uh, iPods and the mobile phones and the whatever other technology we have, not because somebody tells us that we have to use it for them, not because somebody implants it in our brain so that they control it. We can use that technology for things that are actually useful for us and expand our capacities and our abilities to do things. Like my ancestors, and maybe yours did, in the technology that they had were musical instruments. Look at the beautiful music that has been composed of whatever kind you like. Isn't it great? Uh, you know, look at the inventions that have been done in terms of uh, Oh, I don't know, modern roller skating boards or motorized, uh, I don't know what, that these young kids go that That's fun and it's interesting and it's, and it's useful to people. So like everything, it has two sides. All technology has two sides. Atomic technology, uh, modern scientific uh, computer technology, 
It can be used for control, for domination, for suppressing life, but it can also be used for enhancing life. So <laughs> uh, we've got to win this war, support the people that are doing the, the, the soldier part. At least don't, you know, don't put them down. That helps a lot. Uh, and you know, in, in, in saying, I'm, I support your uh, working toward a society in which we are freer. Uh, and then finally, I still have to say something also about the financial system. The financial system that controls things from the top, because the almighty dollar is, you know, the Federal Reserve, which is not federal at all. It's a private company or bank. They control the whole thing through this business of money. And I, I do have to say that again. Look, at the business about these people having all these assets and money, it's non-existent. It's a trust that we have in them. It's figures on a computer screen. If I push the delete button, these $3 trillion that Mr. God knows who has disappear. They're only there. It's like a monopoly game. They're only there as long as we give it our credence, our trust, our support. Well, withdraw it. You say, sorry, we're not going to go, I'm not going to do it anymore. If necessary, like some South American countries have done, uh, develop your own currency in your own region, in your own state. It's probably illegal. Well, you have to say to the government, okay, we're, we're doing something that's good for the people. What's this business about being illegal? There's an awful lot of stuff that is illegal uh, because it's suppressive. We got to get out of it. And, you know, to repeat again, uh, from the spiritual level, we get assistance from that. I don't want to go too far into that because we're going to that. <laughs> that would be like a part two of the conversation, you know, for people who really want to go into like advanced level. Look at that. <laughs> we, may, we may go into that in another conversation and I'll talk about what I think is actually happening at this higher uh, spirit, spiritual level. But it's, it's there. Everybody knows it in some sense that it's there. It's assisting us. Do, do something which is good and which is productive and you'll find out that there is an assistance there. There is a synchronicity. There's a symbiosis. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you, Yana, because you, you found me and I found you. And this is not a coincidence. Or like some of my American friends say, it's a co-incident. It's, it, it's two things that are happening. Because there's, there's something that's meant to happen at that level. And there is an assistance. So I, I'm, I'll leave it at that until our next conversation. And I get into the spiritual stuff. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And that was Professor Frederick Peter von Dreger with us today on Timeless Teachings. And that was just an incredibly insightful, deep, provocative, unusual conversation. And I would like to leave our audience, you know, with this understanding that do listen and do ask questions and find out what is your truth. Like Professor gave a lot of explanations to how he sees the world, level of resources, do your own research see what is happening, and the most important, absolutely look around in your own community. Let's start at least with that, like ask questions around and see how you can contribute. And we're going to be seeing you next time with another guest. Have a wonderful week. A gentle reminder that this is not a regular podcast, because here we have no rules and no scripted questions. 
all conversations are spontaneous, unfiltered, and real with people from all over the world, regardless of their race, religion, nationality, skin color, language, or social circumstances. The intention for this podcast is to showcase the infinite variety of how human beings think and what they do to create happiness, fulfillment, self-realization, health, wealth, legacy, and overall, a truly spectacular life. Did you enjoy the interview? Feel free to share this episode with friends, subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. And remember, you are the master of your own life.